so nice to be here, see you all. Um, feels like ages. I think the last time I preached was in June. Yeah, because we were in Europe for July and August, which was an amazing time. And it's so nice to be back. And um, so nice to be in the Salvation Army, eh? To be like Jesus. Blood and fire. That's quite a motto, eh? I don't know where the motto comes from, but... Um, Blood and fire, that's cool, eh? Well, and my parents are here in the back, eh? So please make them feel welcome. Um, my dad did his 99th marathon today. So, it's at least four, with all the ultras and stuff, it's at least 5,000 Ks in marathons. So, Carl and Luke, Dom, James, any other runners, you've got a bit of catching up to do. Um, and I'm sure he's preached, I'm sure my dad's preached more than 99 sermons, eh? Much more. So, amazing legacy to follow. So, um, yeah, just a real, it's a real privilege to um, speak this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like it's really a significant moment in the life of our community and the life of our city. Yeah? You guys do feel a bit closer than in the other venue, though. It's quite nice. I'm expecting a lot of interaction, eh? Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I just feel like it's not, just, it's not like we've just moved venues and found a spot that's uh, significant and more, I mean, that's more suitable to our children. And may I say it's a lot less dusty. Guys, we moved that sound equipment yesterday. I promise you, I've never seen so much dust in my life eh? so to the guys we were like literally wiping cables and wiping speakers and I saw a meme this week it said from dust you come and to dust you shall return that's why I don't dust it could be someone I know <laughs> so I mean there could be serious yeah. Um, and yeah I just have a real stirring that um God's led us to this place in the city for such a time as this to be significant among the insignificant um, and to be significant to those in places of great influence. That'll be beyond what we could dream or imagine. Um, I don't believe it's insignificant. We, we're in the epicenter of the city. I, I measured it on Google Maps. We're less than 500 meters from Parliament. Um, and it's amazing, I visited some guys in a city called Bern in Switzerland, and they were also, um, their um, church building was also like within three to five hundred meters of the Swiss parliament, also a vineyard church. And I just felt like it's really significant that at the same time as we're really close to the heart of like power and decision making, this is also like a, it's a bit of a like forgotten part of town, eh? Hey? I've never been actually, I've never been on this road before until we came to this church. Um, and isn't it just like God to lead us to the poor and lead us to the overlooked while being at the, set, the center of the city? And um, yeah, I really just feel like there's something significant about us moving with God. Not because there's anything significant or remarkable about who we are, but maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe we've caught something in God that he's given us to release in a fresh and powerful way in the city. Yeah? 
And I feel like God's bringing us out of like the out of the shadows and being hidden in a way into um, a place of recognition as a church. Not because we're after being recognized by people, but I, I just felt like there's something about recognizing our authority in God, recognizing what God's given us to give away, and what we f- freely you've received now freely give. And I don't know about you guys, but we've received a lot in God over the years. We've received a lot just in the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And I just feel like God's saying, freely you've received, now go, give. Recognize your authority and take it. Amen? And isn't it just like God to have opened the door to the Salvation Army? Um, We can stand on the shoulders of these guys. They've been in the city for 136 years. If you go out there, there's a, there's a drawing of the guys playing the Salvation Army brass band in 1844. 136 years, eh? that's some legacy. Eh? And I don't think it's insignificant. We follow the moving of the Spirit and we've ended up in a building of a people. Like the Salvation Army is a phenomenal movement. And I just, I just actually Googled them today. I, just, I feel like there's something significant about God just linking us up with this building. I don't know if anyone else resonates with that. But this is, the Salvation Army was birthed in 1865 when William Booth, the London minister, gave up the comfort of his pulpit and decided to take his message into the streets. Where it would reach the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the destitute. His original aim was to send converts to established churches of the day. But soon he realized that the poor did not feel comfortable or welcome in the pews of most of the churches and chapels of Victorian England which could probably be said about Cape Town. Um, and then there's a whole story about um, regular churchgoers were appalled when these shabbily dressed, unwashed people came to join them in worship. Booth decided to found a church especially for them. And I just found like it's so significant that they're right. He gave up the comfort of his pulpit and decided to take the message to the streets. One man gave up the comfort of his pulpit and here we are, 13,500 Ks away, 154 years after he did that. And we're still living in the legacy of one man's decision to go after what God had put on his heart. It's quite powerful, eh? Do you think, I, don't, I don't think he thought, like, I'm going to go and preach to the poor and guys in South Africa in 2019 are still going to be reaping of the legacy of his life. What if God has not just moved us from one venue to another, but he's also moving us to give up the comfort of our pulpit, or the comfort of our armchair, or our bed, or our Netflix, or our, our Instagram feed, to take his message to the streets. And I feel like there's something in God saying, like we keep, we've been saying, we're moving, we're moving. But what if God is moving us out of our comfort zones? What if God is placing us here to be a people that wouldn't, we wouldn't be about gathering more and more and more people into a building, but we would be about a people who gather in a building because we go out and we take his message of love and life and power to the streets. Perhaps, I felt like it's a, Carl said, like we really feel like it's a day of commissioning, a day of significance, a day of knowing our authority. And I, I thought that it's incredibly fitting that you get commissioned in a building that's owned by an army whose fight is for salvation. It's pretty significant, eh? If I'm stirring you, then I'm glad.
Because I really feel like there's something in God that He wants to stir fresh hope in us again. And I wrote this, I wrote, He's waking us up to the cries of our city. And I don't, I don't think it's insignificant. If you walk down the street, you end up in Hope Street. And if you walk down Hope Street, you arrive at Parliament. And Parliament and Rulant Street, that's been a site of two of the most significant protests in our country in the last probably year. And I feel like God's placed us here because it's not protests that are going to change the heart of a city. It's those who find themselves in no other place but to walk in the streets marred by violence and despair and find that every street they end up is Hope Street, leading people to a place of change. Every street in the city should ring with hope. As my friend Mike Day said to me this week, we need Jesus to walk through our city and bring his healing. We do. Who of you guys was at, were outside Parliament last week? We need Jesus to walk through the streets of our city and bring healing. And how does he do that? He walks through the streets in each of us. He calls us to walk the streets. God is doing something for our city. And I feel like, um, I feel like there's something that God's going to do with us also with other churches. I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me like there's not a hell of a lot of unity in Cape Town in the churches. Or not a heaven, a lot of unity. <laughs> Sorry. And there's something that I really feel like God wants us to build unity again as churches to bring hope. To be a picture of hope and life to the city. Um, this is just an intro, hey? Is that a good intro? Okay, you guys can And I really believe the Spirit of God is saying to us, it's time to wake up. It's just time to wake up. Ephesians 5.14 says, Wake up, sleep, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Alan Scott um, of Anaheim Vineyard, he writes in his book, It's time for awakening. It's time to shift our focus from creating irresistible services in our churches and raise up unstoppable servants who carry kingdom authority into every activity. It's time for us to awaken to the authority adventure. Really good. Really good. And I sense the Spirit is speaking to our hearts in this moment. He's saying, it's time to wake up. He's, he wants to awaken things in our lives that have gone dormant. And I just felt that when I was preparing that for some of us, He's just awakening dreams again, or promises, or truth. Or like He says in that verse, rise from the dead. Maybe there's things, there's places in our life where it's just felt like death, and God wants to breathe life. Does that make sense to any of you guys? It's time to carry a word of hope for the city. Alan Scott says in his book, God is raising up citadels of hope at the center of our cities. And I love that when the, um, when the Dutch took their ships and came around the coast, what do they call it? The Cape of Good Hope. And um, I think it's time that our city gets known again as the Cape of Good Hope. Because at the moment, if we look around, it's, it's probably the cape of no hope. Reality. We can live in our lacquer suburbs or in our nice lives, but most of our city is a place of no hope. And maybe, maybe the reason is because the church just needs to find their voice again. 
Maybe we just need to speak up. It's not the it's not the voice of the majority that carries the power. It's often the voice of the minority. So I'll just put that out there. Thanks, Luke. And maybe it's also for some of us. Maybe it's also talk less and do more. Hey. Eh? I'm preaching to myself now. Acts 1.1 In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Mark 6.30 The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. 1 Corinthians 4.20 The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Jesus, it's quiet in here. New, New Living Translation. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. So maybe we need to talk less and do more. But I love what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. We don't need more power. We don't need more authority. He's given us everything we need. And, and the sense I, I get in what God is saying is we just need to go. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, go. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you and behold I'm with you to the end of the age. All authority has been given to Jesus. He simply says go. We've, we've got the backing of heaven. The wind of heaven is at our back. And sometimes we, um, sometimes we just trade our, our, our authority because we believe that we, we can't bring change or transformation. Some of us have traded the authority in our marriages by choosing to settle for less. Settling for maybe how the generations before us lived. But we know actually God's given us authority. Some of us have traded our authority in our finances by playing it safe and keeping for ourselves what we should freely give away. This is a lack of encouraging message, eh? It's blood and fire. It's blood and fire. Yes, it's on the battlefield. Leave it all out there. Some of us have traded the authority over our destinies by settling for what we see in front of us and not living according to what God has said over our lives. Some of us have traded the authority over our destinies, our callings, the things God has for us, by settling for what we see in front of us, not living according to what God has said over us, which is easy. And I I sense some of us, some of us have, some of you guys have actually been, even this week, like asking God, like, what is my destiny? What's my purpose? And I feel like God just wants to breathe on that again. As you go, proclaim this message, Jesus said, Matthew 10. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely have received, now freely give. We've got so much in God to give. We actually, the more, you only get to keep in the kingdom what you're willing to give away.
What we're willing to give away, we're willing to trust God with, and He'll give us more. For some of us, maybe the first step is money, or time, or energy, or just taking a risk and, and going with what God said, said over our lives. But I was just, I just, I was just loving in worship, looking at that banner, because I felt like that's what God is saying of us: forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. See, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Sometimes we can miss out what God has for us now because we keep dwelling on the past. So even if, like, the spirit stirring you of those things where you just feel, yeah, I haven't maybe just lived in that authority in the past. God says, don't worry, I'm doing a new thing. It's springing up. Should I keep going? Thanks. Cool. So if you do have your Bibles, or there is a pew Bible, good news, I think, you can turn to Ephesians 1.17, or Ephesians 1.15, actually. How much time do I have? A little bit more. Ephesians 1.15. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do, not, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God, and this is his prayer, this is his prayer for this church, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you? Imagine being a people knowing the hope he's called us to. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's quite a beautiful prayer. And I want to read it in the Passion Translation as well, because it's, uh, it's quite a fresh translation. I pray that the Father of glory the God of our Lord Jesus Christ would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us his holy ones. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of his immense power as it works through you.
This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, every authority, every government and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. And he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. And now we, his church, are his body on the earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. Powerful, eh? And I love that Paul starts the saying, um, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Or I keep asking God. And there's something about Paul where he was relentless. When he saw something in God, he went after it relentlessly. He kept asking. He never ceased giving thanks for, for this church and praying this audacious prayer for them. And there's something in God where, um, where we see something of who God is, we keep going after Him. I don't know about you guys, but have you, have you, has something of God taken hold of you where you just keep, you keep asking? You never cease. There's something that God, I feel like there's like a tenacity that God wants to build in us. I don't know about you, but our generation seems to like give up, give up pretty easily and just move on to the next thing. And there's something about being a people who, when you know your authority, you keep going after something in God. Saying like, no God, this is what God has said of our lives. This is what God said of our city. We're not going to give up hope. We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep trusting. We're going to keep pushing in. We're going to keep going after that thing. Yes, we might see failure. Yes, we might see disappointment. Yes, we might see friends die of cancer. But we're not going to stop believing God. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead. We're going to keep asking. Thank you. There's something about having seen something and caught something in God where we don't give up. And I love what Paul says. He says, um, I exert all my energy, yet not me. It's the Spirit of Christ in me, energizing me. And there's something about co-laboring with God where the Spirit of God in you brings you alive and you feel like you're giving your whole life to something, but yet it's not you. It's the grace of God in you, empowering you. And then he says, I do not cease or I keep asking, remembering you in prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, or in other translations he says, the glorious Father. There's something that happens when we see the glory of the Father and we realize that we live and we are resourced in our lives according to His riches and glory that allows us to be a people who can live with hope and authority. We're sons and daughters of a, of, of a glorious Father. He's given us all authority. We need to take that authority. It's not about who we are, it's about who He said that we are. There's a difference between authority and power. Authority is about having a delegated, delegated power. So if you think about a traffic, a traffic officer, if he is dressed in his uniform, 
and he steps out in the road and he puts his hand out to stop an 18-wheel truck. He doesn't have any power against that truck. If that truck keeps going, the truck will flatten him. But he's got authority to stop the, stop the truck. And there's something about us where God's given us authority and we might not sense that we necessarily have all the power to accomplish these things. I don't know about you, but when the, the, all, all the news has come out in the last few weeks, I feel completely powerless. But there's something of God saying, no, but I've given you authority. All authority has been given to, to me now. Go. So you may, you may not have the power or the means or the knowledge to know how to change something, but God says, I've given you authority. So maybe it's not about, like Sarah was saying so beautifully last week, we don't need to engage in necessarily in the conversations that the world's having. Maybe it's not about talking, oh men trash, oh men not trash, but actually, let's raise the bar. We've got authority to say, no, this is who you're called to be. Now go and live as a man of integrity. Go and live as a man who actually has purity. Go and live as a man who can impart wisdom, knowledge to sons who can, who can be, be raised up. Let's change the conversation. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's something about knowing God that releases wisdom and revelation to us. 2 Peter 1.2 says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something that happens when you know Jesus that multiplies grace and peace in our lives. The knowledge of Jesus will multiply wisdom in your life. Maybe we don't need to know more facts or read more articles or do more research on how do we bring change to our city, how do we change these gender dynamics, how do we, how do we solve all these things. Maybe it's about the knowledge of Him that releases supernatural, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of Him. When you know Him, it releases divine power. Everything you need is found in the knowledge of Christ. And He carries on saying, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. When you see Jesus, he, he, he turns the light on and you realize, no, I actually do. I carry the hope. I love the way he says it in um, Passion Translation. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding. Do not set your eyes on the things of this world, but set your eyes on things above. And we're called to be a people who live seeing more than just what's around us. Make sense? There's something, when you see Jesus, He illuminates, He turns on the light of your heart, and you begin to see what is the hope that He's called you to. We've been called to experience the full revelation of the hope of His calling. Every situation that we go into, we should carry hope. 
Imagine being having hope, having a, a deep understanding that the kingdom of God will bring change and transformation, life, peace, grace in every situation you go into. Carrying authority, carrying hope. But it only happens through the knowledge of Him. When you see Him, when you understand Him, then He turns on the light and you realize, actually, no, I carry hope because I carry Christ. Christ in me, hope of glory. He is the hope of our glory. He's the hope of the kingdom coming. But it's Christ in you. And I think sometimes what's happened is the enemy has just got us so self-obsessed that we forget or we just lose sight of Christ in us. But when you realize Christ in you is the hope of glory. And he carries on and he says that you may have the eyes of your heart enlightened to the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Which is kind of a weird sentence. I never, I never really understood it. But what I think he's saying is there's, a, there's an inheritance. There's a rich, richness of inheritance that we've been called to leave living a life of legacy, living a life of hope. We, like, we're in that today. We're living in the inheritance of a guy who left the comfort of his pulpits and went to the streets 154 years ago. We're living in the inheritance, a building here in Cape Town, 13,000 k's away from London, 154 years on, and it's still, there's an inheritance because he saw something in God. You leave in, you know, if you, we don't have kids yet, but you, as, as parents, I'm sure you're already starting to think, what is the inheritance I'm leaving for my kids? What's the legacy? What, is, what, is, what am I building in my life that I'm going to leave for them so that they start at a better place than where I started? Make sense? There's something about the riches of it. There's a glorious inheritance that is placed in each one of us. Where God said, I've got calling. I've got hope. I've got destiny over your life. Let, let your eyes be enlightened to the greatness of, of who I've called you to be. And then he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? As he says in the, in the Passion Translation, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. Imagine our lives were an advertisement of the power of God. Going to the streets. When last have we placed ourselves in a position where we need the power of God to actually show up and work? I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen too often in my Monday to Saturday. Seeing the power, like actually being like, wow, I actually need the power of God to be evident. I need to be an advertisement of the power of God right here, right now. And I feel like there's something where God is stirring in us to say, no, we need to be those people who go to the streets, go to the shops, sit at the restaurants with the awareness that the power of God's in us and we need to be an advertisement of His power in our lives. I'll preach myself happy. (laughs) 
the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And I love that Christ was seated in the heavenly places. He sat down, he finished, he rested. He'd accomplished it all. And, and what, is, what does Paul say? He says we are seated with him in heavenly places. We're seated in that place, the place of authority, the right hand of God. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, which fills the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God seated him above every single name, power, authority, scheme that could ever be named for the church. His body that fills everything in every way, which is the fullness of him. There's something about God waking us up to be the church. Alan Scott writes in his book, We were using people to build church instead of growing people who changed culture. Powerful, eh? The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We as the church should fill everything, every part of life, every dynamic of life, in every way with the goodness, the hope, the power, the resurrection authority of Jesus. That's what we should look like. We gather on a Sunday, we go out from Monday to Saturday and we fill everything in every way with the hope of his glory. When last did you pray for someone to be healed in your office? Pray for someone to be healed on the, on the streets? Or give someone a prophetic word or encouraging word of what God said over them outside of a Sunday or a Wednesday night? We the church, we fill everything in every way. If we don't rise up and bring hope to the city, who's going to do it? There's something of the calling of God for us to just re realize this is, this is the authority that we have in Christ. And I had a picture earlier and I just felt like in the season of awakening, we, you know that the beginning of spring in Cape Town is actually Monday the 23rd of September. That's actually the beginning of spring. Not the first. And I felt like it's, it's a we, we are moving into a season change. It's a season of awakening. And I saw a picture of green shoots coming through the soil. Something of us just waking up to the goodness of God. Knowing what He's put in our lives. Realizing that you know, winter is over. Some of us have been carrying baggage where we should have been carrying baskets of groceries and supplies. That's a picture I had. For some of us, the very areas where we've been called to be a resource, it's like the enemy has come and weighed us down and convinced us that we'll be overwhelmed in those areas. If he can just keep us looking inward and self-obsessed, he can stop us from living with an abundance for others. When you, when you meet a hopeless person... I promise you, if you spend like five minutes with someone who's hopeless, you flipping leave that place and you are so depressed. Trust me. But if you spend five minutes with someone who's full of hope, it ignites something in your heart. 
And that's why we're called to be those who, like the men on the, on the road to Emmaus, when they spent just that time with Jesus on the road, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Because they'd, they'd encountered something of the hope that he walked with. And God's calling us to be people of hope. So I want to read this from Isaiah 61 as I close. This is an incredible um, scripture and I feel like this is something that God has over us as a people. Jesus read this out when um, he was in the temple. And it talks about the type of people that the Spirit of God has anointed us to be. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garments of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, that they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the de devastation of many generations. And I was just struck by that line where it says, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And you know, it's actually not the people who are whole, and the people who are, have their lives all together, who are the ones who will build up the ancient ruins and repair, and repair the ruined cities. But it's actually the afflicted, the brokenhearted, the captives, the bound, those who mourn. When they encounter God, when they encounter the kingdom of God, it says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord that may display His splendor. And I feel like He's calling us afresh to be people who bring good news to the afflicted. We are sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those in captivity. I love it when he says, to grant to those who mourn a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Imagine all those people who living lives mourning, who've been victim of sexual assault or violence, where in their spirit they're living in a place of ashes or a spirit of mourning and we come and we restore dignity on them. You come and you show them who God's created them to be. You give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, pouring out the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And what happens, the Spirit of God quickens them and they become oaks of righteousness. And these people get caught up in what God's doing and they begin to repair the ruined cities. They begin to build up ancient ruins. It says later in verse 7, instead of their shame, there shall be a double portion. God's calling us to be a people who break shame over others and bring them into a place of knowing who God is and the hope of His, of his goodness and His glory. There's something about being people who would create, I was just thinking of like creating the garden. We, we were formed in the garden of Eden. We fell, but we meant to 
be those people who go and we return and we create these gardens of Eden, these places where we're fruitful, we multiply. We cultivate the gardens within our hearts so that we can cultivate a garden of culture and transformation outside of ourselves. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, We possess this treasure, this divine light of the gospel, in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of his power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. We just, like Paul writes, we just like those jars of clay, that it's not about us, but to show that that exceeding power is from him and not from us. So we don't actually need to have it all together. And I love what Alan Scott writes in his book. Some of us, we wait around so long to feel like we've got our lives all together before we go out and start bringing the gospel because we feel like, I don't have this all right. I'm still struggling in this area. I'm still dealing with these issues. And it doesn't matter because there's grace for us. But he says, go. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll show you that the power of God will be the advertisement of my kingdom on display in your life. So Lord, we just... Thank you that you've called us to live from a place of hope. We thank you that we don't need to remember the former things. We don't need to dwell on the past. But that you're doing a new thing, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that right now, Holy Spirit, you would enlighten our hearts that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to the hope that you've called us, to the riches of your glorious inheritance that you've placed in our lives. And Lord, that you would show us the incomparably great power that is for us who believe, the power that was like the same power that you worked when you raised Christ from the grave. Pray you would stir our hearts, Lord, for living lives that are bigger than ourselves. And it might feel like this was like an intense word, but um, there's re- there really is grace for us. And it's like He's inviting us to just that place of living from the knowledge of Him. So Luke, maybe you guys can come up. And I just want to lead us in a time of just responding to responding to what God's saying.